streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Live. It is Sunday night, November 27th, the year of our Lord, 2022. You hear that? No matter how hard some of you try, this game cannot be played on paper. And the lesson continues to be taught week in and week out. Jam-packed. We are high atop a confused downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Why? Because the game is not played on paper, and there were a lot of expectations going into rivalry Saturday that did not exactly pan out. I have got a lot to say about Michigan versus Ohio State, a TVMA special in Columbus, Ohio yesterday. We were there. We were on the sidelines for it. We will discuss momentarily full week 13 reaction. I mean, I'll go all the way back to Friday night. There was some things that happened Friday night that I want to discuss. Plenty that happened yesterday. Don't miss this show. This is not one to fast forward through. There is a lot of meat on the bone tonight. Playoff could get put in a blender here. Now, if chalk holds, chalk holds, and I'm just wrong, but if anybody slips up this week, as this sport is prone to have happen, a healthy debate, uh, scratch that, a very toxic debate will unfold between the Bamas of the world and the Ohio States of the world and the one-loss non-conference champs of the world. It could be gross. We're going to be here for it, though. Tons of coaching intel. I've got my cell phone, my iJosh, turned face up as opposed to the usual face down uh, because... There's stuff happening even during our show as we speak, so I don't want to miss out. And if I have things that I can pass along to you, I sure will. Newport News, Virginia, they're watching us there. We appreciate that. They're watching and listening in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know what happened to you guys' mascot there on the NFL level, but in the college level, a lot of fans that we have down that way. Durant, Oklahoma tuned in. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Probably a fun time up there, at least for the Wolverine side of the fence yesterday. I can't stress enough as we dive into the show tonight how imperative it is to be following the social channels at Late Kick Josh. It's the same on Instagram as it is on Twitter. You get different things on different platforms, but there is a lot in addition to what I give you on the show and the podcast that is especially popping this time of year. This time of year, the overlap of conference championship week, coaching hot seats and coaching firings and hirings, and also we have recruiting that's about to really, really heat up. Transfer portal season, as we speak, is really heating up. It doesn't all happen nice and neatly right before our show. So make sure you're tuned in there. Okay, let's dive in because we got so many different places to go. The show could be four hours tonight. It won't be, but I'm just saying it could be. We could make it four if we wanted to, but Colin's got to get home. He's got a bedtime. Why do we play these games? It's a question I'm going to ask you a lot tonight. Colin, here's a better end point. Why do we play these games? These college football games, they look so nice and neat on paper. Why do we play them? Well, Michigan 45, Ohio State 23. That's one reason why we play the games, I guess. Buckeyes, about a seven and a half or an eight point favorite going into this game. I was on the field for this. As you can imagine, it was pretty jarring to witness. Pales in comparison to how jarring it was for the Ohio State players. I want to start from the back and then want to work my way to the front. After these games, normally what I'll do is I'll go to a post-game press conference. I actually went to Ryan Day's post-game press conference yesterday, 
and then we'll go back out on the natural playing surface of the stadium and we'll do some live hits for CBS. So I did that yesterday. Two things I probably will never forget. Number one, how defeated and how stunned uh, Ryan Day was. Handled himself fine post-game. I'm just saying these folks thought they were about to double-digit blow out Michigan. They thought they were going to run all over them. They thought they were going to dictate every term in that football game yesterday. That's not just the fan base. That staff fully believed that. Fully believed it. A lot of folks believed it. The second part, and what I will really remember, is when I went back out there, several of those Ohio State players didn't leave the stadium immediately. They went to the locker room, but after the place had cleaned out, you know, we see things you don't see. And one of the things is, man, a lot of those players especially the ones who were wearing that uniform for the last time, they're back out there. Some of them are just sitting on the field. Uh, some of them are up in the stands just sobbing. It was pretty somber. But that's sports, man. That's competition. And so it's beautiful if you're a Michigan fan. It's gut-wrenching if you're an Ohio State fan. But when this thing started to go the way it did, and I'm going to talk a lot about it, but when it started to go the way it did, I'm sure a lot of people thought a lot of things. But when Michigan started to pull away, especially in the second half, one of the images my mind went back to is when we were down in Miami last year, not in Ann Arbor, not when they beat Ohio State, when they had punched their ticket to the playoff and they went to Miami and they lost to Georgia. We were there. I think I talked about this on the show. Colin, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I told you, uh, but I haven't mentioned it since then. After that place kind of cleaned out, a lot of the Michigan fans had already left. It was a blowout game. And then the game's over and they're starting to do the trophy presentation on the field. A lot of the young guys from Michigan, I really noticed this because it was right next to me. They stayed on the field and they didn't say a word. They weren't being demonstrative. They weren't, you know, looking to draw attention to themselves. Quite the opposite. They were kind of standing over in the corner and they just stood there and watched. Um, J.J. McCarthy was one of them. Donovan Edwards was one of them. Big contributors to yesterday's win. They just stayed there and watched. And I remember looking at that. And I remember thinking to myself, it's a shame a lot of Michigan fans can't see this because they probably love it because what is the nucleus of your future hopes in games like we saw yesterday, they kind of they look like they get it here. And there they were about 11 months later on the field yesterday. And boy, did they do some special things. How do unbelievable results happen? This is where I want to dive into this whole paper versus real life thing. Because on paper, the reason I have such a problem with a lot of people telling you what they think would happen on a neutral field or who would be favored is not that that's not a proper way to power rate teams, but it's not competition. I do power ratings, but then I freely tell you that's not competition. The beautiful thing about games like this is you know they're coming. Michigan did not have to really argue their point the whole year. If you're a Michigan fan from Flint or, or Sault Ste. Marie, most people from Georgia can't say that properly. Salt Ste. Marie for my friends in Fortson. You listened the entire year as folks talked about Ohio State being better than you and you got to go to Columbus and they'll be favored and they should win by this many points. But it was never a problem. Why? Because you knew you were going to eventually arrive at that day. And that day was yesterday. And it didn't happen on a piece of paper. It happened on a playing surface. How was Michigan going to pull off the upset? Well, it's quite simple, but it's also a little more nuanced than how simple it is to say. 
To pull off something impossible, all a team has to do is do things that they haven't done all season. There's a big difference between have not and cannot. And if you watched the Thursday edition of Late Kick, this does not sound foreign to you. Colin, get the sound ready. Three, two, one, roll it. I am looking at Michigan, and the question I would love to see answered in the definitive for them is, does their passing game show up? i got to be honest with you. Like I've been sky high on them all year. I've been a little disappointed in the development or lack thereof in what I thought was going to be a great receiver room for them this year. But here's the thing, going into a game like this, the guys are still there. Ronnie Bell's still in there. The potential and the reasons I thought that room had potential, they're still there. It just takes one four-quarter game. It just takes two or three explosive plays in a four-quarter game for you to think about the rest of the year and say, who cares? We won the games without them doing it. But boy, when they did it on this Saturday, that's when we needed it the most. So I'm thinking about that. Five of them. Five plays of 45 yards or more. I think four of them of 69 yards or more. That's all it took. That's the difference in the game. You can break it down nine ways from Sunday, and we kind of will in just a second. But that was the long and short of it. Had you seen that all year? Number one, you hadn't seen it from Michigan. You hadn't seen them bomb away. You hadn't seen them take the top off of defense. I would argue Ohio State kind of took their own top off by not having a top. But they played the game that was put in front of them, which is really beautiful, and it's also simple. The game that was put in front of them is Ohio State decided we're not letting Blake Corum beat us. Now, what was funny is Blake Corum was in there for about three seconds, and then he's done the rest of the afternoon, and Ohio State still decided they were going to play as if to not let Blake Corum beat them. And so you got McCarthy back there, and you got the Michigan Offensive Brain Trust saying, do we really see what we think we're seeing? Okay. Like, if that's what they're going to give us, we're going to do this as you're watching on B-roll. Just have guys run free in the secondary. Like, it, it, at various points yesterday looked like Alabama circa Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy, and this is a Michigan passing attack that, as I said, and as many of you Michigan fans had said going into this game, had left a little something to be desired. Well, it was always there. As I said Thursday, you just listened. As I'll repeat now, there are teams that have the capability to do things they just haven't done. Sometimes they choose not to do them. Sometimes, for whatever reason, they have misfired execution-wise. But that never means in a one-game scenario it couldn't happen. Texas A&M did some stuff against LSU yesterday. We hadn't seen them do all year. But it turns out they were capable of it. J.J. McCarthy, 12 of 24, 263. A lot of the, a lot of, I guess, the correlating stat lines outside of those explosive plays look very ordinary. But here's the thing, that doesn't matter because the explosive plays count just as much as the gain for no yards on second and two. And the explosive plays change the game. So Michigan, I, I so vividly remember looking at the box score, the live box score, as we're approaching the half, and they've got a 17-13 lead near the half, and they were averaging 0.1 yards per carry. If you're Ohio State, do you not have to be ecstatic about that? Because what you set out to do is exactly what's happening. You're stoning them at the line of scrimmage. Now, it turned out that that wasn't going to last. But Ryan Day even said in his postgame, we felt like we fought in the first half. We liked where we had them in the first half. And yet there's Michigan. 17-13 lead. I think Ohio State led by three at the break. But the most stunning thing, as I said, for me to watch is not Michigan popping one big play. 
or popping maybe one more big play. It's the total lack of any kind of adjustment. I'm not saying adjustments weren't made in theory. I'm saying on the whole, I'm saying overarching game philosophy, there was really no defensive adjustment made. And Michigan took advantage of it. It was lethal the way they took advantage of it. Recruiting matters, okay? Scheme matters and cohesion matters, but J.J. McCarthy is an elite quarterback playing back there. Donovan Edwards, when they did start to break big runs, that's an elite running back. I remember sitting, I remember a lot of things on the show so far. I remember sitting there on our signing day show when that kid's incoming as a true freshman and they're fighting Ohio State and Notre Dame and they get him and we spent like 20 minutes talking about Donovan Edwards. And you know what my DMs looked like afterwards? A disaster. We got criticized. I got criticized for talking about Donovan Edwards too much. Well, hey, Corum couldn't go yesterday. Edwards had one hand. Donovan Edwards might as well have been like a pirate, you know, with like a little hook on his other hand. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Because he had two feet. They worked just fine. And he could have run to Toledo, Ohio, if they didn't build that end zone where he physically couldn't go any further. Because when he got loose, man, he really got loose. They never adjusted. They never took it away. And to Michigan's credit, they kept taking and taking and taking. There's, the, there's a misconception, I think, about this team, this Michigan program, because you can go so many directions with this. I don't need to read you the box score. You know what the box score says. You know what your eyes saw yesterday. You know about the big plays through the air. You know about the big plays on the ground. You know that when Ohio State looked like they had answered and they pulled to within one possession, it lasted one play. Michigan rips another one off, and brother, that sideline exploded when that happened. I was over there. And here's the thing about Michigan, or here's a thing about Michigan. What do you think? I'll, I'll ask you before I give you my take on this. What do you think when I just say Michigan football? Is it something that's changing, or do you have a pretty set opinion on them? But I'm asking you, think in your mind. You may be watching live or watching the replay or listening to the podcast. What do you think when I say Michigan football? Because I think there's a little misconception out there because of the way they carry themselves. Confidence is not always as it seems. Let me put it that way. A lot of the attributes that you associate with confidence actually don't correlate with confidence at all. A lot of people think a confident person is really brash and really in your face and they call themselves alphas like four or five times per hour. That's not what real confidence is. Confidence is Michigan. Confidence is Jim Harbaugh. Michigan is the most confident program in the Big Ten. Harbaugh is the most confident coach in the Big Ten. It's not because they run their mouth. They rarely do. It's not because they're very demonstrative pregame. I stood there and watched them warming up yesterday. I don't think I heard many of their players say a word. That's not what confidence is. Confidence is being totally comfortable and resolute in whatever your philosophy is. And if you think about Jim Harbaugh, that's him to a T. That dude listened for years to people, honestly, like me, look at him and say, I don't think this offense is going to work in modern college football. Look at all these other programs around you. Look at the quarterbacks they have. Look at the perimeter skill talent they have. How will you ever keep up with them? He never changed. There's a fine line between cerebral and stubborn, between confidence and just stupidity. He's on the right side of it, though. Michigan's on the right side of it. They never flinched. That's what confidence is. That program never flinched, and not just yesterday, and not just last year. They never flinched, 
even when things weren't necessarily going their way, and even when there was warranted criticism because the results weren't what they should be, they are so confident because their process is so proven that he can afford to try and get the Vikings job, fail, lose both of his coordinators, have to totally check back in, replace them, chose to go a different direction at quarterback, chose to go with J.J. McCarthy over Cade McNamara, and the net result is his team's better this year than it was last year, and I've thought that the entire season. They just validated it yesterday. That's confidence. Confidence isn't how many bands you put on your arm. It's not what you draw an eye black on your face. It's being able to carry yourself and not flinching because you know your way is the way. Michigan's way is the way. That's the best team in the Big Ten right now. Here's the thing about the program. The program is now proving itself potentially as the best program in the Big Ten. And I am very, very slow to ever say things like that because I got immense amounts of respect for Ohio State. One outcome in a game rarely drastically tilts my opinion of that. So it's not like I'm vastly downgrading Ohio State here. I'm going to talk about them in just a second. I just think the world of what Michigan's doing, and I think that their talent level's kind of crept up on folks. I think that folks look at McCarthy, maybe up until yesterday, and you thought of him as just another Michigan quarterback. Now, people who follow recruiting, you know that's a different skill level. He possesses a different skill level. But most people don't follow it that hardcore. So you just look at McCarthy and think, hey, he's, another, he's another Michigan quarterback. No, he's not. He's the best they've had up there. He's the best Harbaugh has had during his tenure there. Domin Edwards, likewise, in the backfield. They're playing without their top player yesterday, guys. And they still hang 45. They had so many points. When I was in the media scrum postgame, half the folks didn't even realize they had topped 40. They thought 38 was the number. Michigan just kind of tacked on another touchdown. Why? Because they could. Why not rip off another 80-plus yard touchdown? Ohio State had the entire table set yesterday. We talk about the winners first here, and I just talked about Michigan, and I'll talk about them again later in the week. But there's also a downside to this. There's also a loser in the equation, and the loser yesterday in emphatic fashion was Ohio State. And what hurts, aside from losing the game, is what it comes on the heels of. Last year, we were in Ann Arbor for that game. The whole world watched this game last year. But the thing about it is, if you wanted to, really, if you, if you admit it to yourself, you could make excuses for Ohio State last year if you wanted to. You could tell yourself the team was banged up. I think they were sick. You know, hoops amongst us hasn't had that happen. But it was snowing. I can assure you it was miserable up there. And I know what the counter is. You don't have to tell me both teams played in it. I know that. My point is, if you're trying to play devil's advocate, you're trying to make excuses for a team and admit that you're doing that, yes, you could just say, all right, blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, broken clocks right twice a day, and Michigan was eventually going to get Ohio State. It was just the perfect confluence of events last year. Whatever last year was in the favor of Michigan, it all was inverted this time around. The, The entire table was set for Ohio State yesterday. Forecast looked gross seven days ago. It ends up being 55 and sunny. I wore short sleeves for a majority of this afternoon. You had a big recruiting weekend on tap. 
uh, Jim Knowles. You got the defensive replacement that you needed last year. So theoretically, those big plays weren't going to bite you like they did last year. You certainly had the revenge angle to sell your kids. You got home field. Michigan is limited offensively this year. Plus, their best player, as it turns out, is out of the game after a couple of plays. And you get drug anyway. You get pantsed anyway. Just embarrassed. Just drug. And that's kind of stunning. And that makes you do some soul searching. And the thing about it, when that happens, is it's so demoralizing, you don't have an immediate answer. Everybody wants to know one thing. What's the one thing? Well, there was no one thing. There is no one thing that contributes to something like that. It's a collection of a number of things. And you're not immediately ready to admit it afterwards. And Ryan Day was not immediately ready. He was not argumentative. He was, in fact, very defeated and very somber, as any of us would be in that position, in his post-game yesterday. But I don't know who asked the question, although there were two feet in front of me. But someone started to ask him about Jim Knowles, defensive coordinator. And sometimes someone's asking such a good question, you can see the body language from the coach. Mid-question, they realize, oh, man, this guy's right. And when Ryan Day was getting asked, I'm going to paraphrase the question, but the question was something like, you got victimized by big plays last year. So you went and got Jim Knowles to bring him in to rectify that. And yet big plays killed you today even more than they did last year. What's your response to that? Midway through that question, he kind of goes, wow. And he, he slumps his shoulders and he looks down and he just starts to shake his head. And he realized, yes, right, I sure did. And he's right, they sure did bite us today every bit as much. And he gave a pretty standard answer. You know, you got to reassess, you got to watch the film. I know he's got to make changes. He knows he has to make changes. Now, that's the easy part to say. What are the changes? What are the changes? Does he look internally? Does he look at himself? Does he regret not going for it when the entire stadium and and his quarterback, namely, is on the field asking third and five, third and six, let's go, or four, fourth and five, fourth and six, let's go for it. Does he, does he regret that? Uh, does he regret, you know, several other things from a play calling perspective? Does he regret any of the hires? Does he think strength and conditioning needs to be overhauled? All of these things are holistically normally given as the reason why someone lost. It could be 10% of 10 different things need to be overhauled. Uh, this is a very, very good program. So this is not a treasure or trash situation as it's normally made out to be. Ryan Day, it's not treasure versus trash. Uh, the reality is about 98% of the sport is somewhere between treasure and trash. And Ryan Day is between treasure and trash. A lot closer to treasure than he is trash. The Ohio State program right now, somewhere between it. A lot closer to treasure than they are trash. There was talk last night, mind you, not by serious people, but there was talk last night that we got to get him out of here. I normally don't even entertain this foolishness, but it was so widespread, I feel like I need to at least entertain it if to do nothing more than bat it down. Uh, Ryan Day is one of the best head coaches in America. Ohio State's one of the best programs in America. They got soundly beaten yesterday by also one of the best head coaches in America and also one of the best programs in America. I'm going to say a sentence here, but you won't believe it. It happens sometimes. Now, Ohio State fans should never accept that. That coaching staff should never accept that, nor will they. What I'm saying is, uh, you can go ahead and lose it to him again next year. Fire him if you want to. 
And I don't, I was listening to Tom Fornelli talk about this, and I, I don't think he's wrong. I think there would be a big push to get rid of Ryan Day next year if he were to lose to Michigan. Um, I'm not even going to call your expectation level warped because the bottom line is you are one of two great whites in your conference. You played the other one yesterday. Outside of that, you should soundly beat everybody that you play. And so it really doesn't matter if you win 10 games or 11 games at Ohio State. If you lose that one at the end of the year, it normally means you're not going to go play for the Big Ten. Therefore, you're not going to go play for the national championship, and you go 0 for 3 on your goals. And this is the second year in a row now that Ohio State's going to go 0 for 3. And Colin's got a second piece of audio that I want to play for you in just a second. But to tee it up, some people were taken aback nationally, I think, outside of the fan bases here. A lot of people were taken by surprise that there was such a strong and swift reaction, this anti-Ryan Day reaction. Like, if you guys have not trafficked in it, I'm not lying to you when I say there is a, there is a, a non-zero chunk, like a sizable chunk of the Ohio State fan base that wants action taken against the head coach of the program here. And if not the head coach, they want sweeping changes made in the program. And you were taken aback by that for the reasons that I spoke about last week. People simply had not allowed their mind to go there because everybody associated with that program thought they were going to beat Michigan comfortably yesterday. A big swath of the nation thought that Ohio State was going to beat Michigan comfortably. Therefore, they had not allowed their mind to fathom what it would be like if Ohio State lost. But on this show, I had already gone there, and so it shouldn't have been a surprise, Colin, get it ready, when this happened. Do you understand how catastrophic that would be for Ryan Day? Do you understand how catastrophic that would be? How big a failure that would be for Ohio State football to have had that collection of talent and two years in a row be in a position to achieve all your goals and have it wrecked by a Michigan team that at one point you were dominating and you got C.J. Stroud at quarterback and you're not even going to play for the Big Ten Championship with him again. You got a guy like Marvin Harrison having, in my mind's eye, a Bolitnikoff award-winning season right there with Jalen Hyatt, and you're not even going to play for the Big Ten Championship with him. Can you imagine those folks if they lose that game? So there's pressure. There's always pressure. But, man, there's a different kind of pressure on Ohio State in this game. That was the way it was always going to be. It's totally over the cliff. It is burn it to the ground and start over from scratch, and that in reality is not the answer, but I'm not surprised that that's the reaction. They had no answers yesterday. So now I do want to suggest one thing because everyone wants to talk about Michigan and could they win a national championship. I got a really short answer for you. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who makes the playoff this year can win the national championship. And the reason I'm kind of reserving my take on Michigan moving forward is because I'm going to talk about it a lot this week. Like, it's, it's incredible what Jim Harbaugh is doing. With Ohio State, I will tell you one thing. i got to be careful with my words here because it's going to sound like I'm trying to be a hater of C.J. Stroud. I'm not. I'm not a C.J. Stroud hater at all. I'm going to speak generically. It's just that watching this game kind of triggered this for me. One thing and one direction that I think Ryan Day will go, and he should go. And one direction that I think not only Ryan Day will go, but every leader of an elite program should go, is there is no excuse in 2022 and beyond 
why you don't have mobility at quarterback. The quarterback position has evolved so much over the last decade to 15 years. Lamar Jackson has been huge in this push. It used to be that if you wanted a runner at quarterback, you had to sacrifice arm talent to get it. He was going to be a runner, and he could throw, but boy, you were really going to have to scheme guys open because he's not going to be a precision passer. That's not the case anymore. There is a generation of kids now who are average to plus throwers of the football, and you could even describe them as pass-first guys. Excellent in the pocket, but they can make plays with their legs, and here's the most important part, they're willing to. C.J. Stroud possesses exactly half of that package. C.J. Stroud's a phenomenal quarterback. He does not do what Bryce Young does for Alabama. He does not possess the ability to keep the defense up the night before they play him because they know if all else fails, that guy's going to kill us with his legs. You've got to have it. It's not a novelty concept anymore. In modern college football, if you are an elite recruiting program, you should never settle for just having a pocket passer on your team. Never settle for it. Do you understand how big a weapon, how big a game changer it is? Look at J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy's not a track guy. J.J. McCarthy's not afraid to run the ball. I think he had about 30 total rushing yards yesterday. He transformed the football game because his ability to stick his face in the fan, or he's willing to stick his face in the fan, he can run the ball. He's willing to run the ball. And Dylan Rayola, for example, is a quarterback committed to them. I think he fits this category. And I think that they will have this taken care of in the future, but they haven't had it this year. And the reality is it wasn't going to bite them until this game either way, but it bit them yesterday. 31 of 48 for 349 is a huge stat line. It wasn't good enough. And it wasn't good enough in the end because Ohio State, they needed not just to get to the red zone, they needed to punch it in. And boy, that mobility at quarterback matters. And it matters when you don't have it too. So that's one little answer there. That's not your, your cure-all, but that is one answer. There's a lot that's going to be made out of this this week and in the coming weeks because Ohio State season is done, I think. And, well, let me put a pause on that. I don't know if their season's done, but I know whatever happens in the future is going to ring kind of hollow for them at least the rest of this year because of what happened yesterday. So I got plenty more on that game coming up this week. Uh, we are just getting started here. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Academy Sports and Outdoors has allowed us to go all over the country this year. Like, had a great time in Columbus yesterday. I went from Columbus, Georgia to Columbus, Ohio. And it was nicer in Columbus, Ohio than it was in Columbus, Georgia which in and of itself is a big upset. I would argue a close second in the upset category for the weekend. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, not as plentiful in Ohio. But here's the thing. 
If I hand out Academy gift cards in Columbus, Ohio, they're just as good as in Columbus, Georgia. You know why? Because you don't have to have a brick and mortar location to visit Academy Sports and Outdoors. Right here, academy.com, right here, academy.com. Let me check and see if we have any new coaching news. Uh, nope, just Cole Kublik sending me a link to his podcast. Thank you, Cole. Colin, when did I start, when did I start banging on the table twice? That's what Frank Underwood does in House of Cards. And what a great role model for me. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, in no shape, form, or fashion associated with Frank Underwood of Gaffney, South Carolina, where they're probably watching us tonight. Love the peach up there, by the way. Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for nearly everything in life. It can't get you a win in your rivalry, but it can get you a tent to tailgate at before the rivalry. And those fold-out chairs, the Academy fold-out chairs sweeping the country. I just don't want you guys to be left behind. Like, I don't want you to be the kid who's buying Jinkos when they become hot again 20 years later. No, 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 no. Buy the chair now. Holiday season's coming up. Christmas season's coming up. Just get stocked up at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And I would strongly encourage you to tune in Tuesday because I think, i got to finalize it with our friends there at Academy, I think we're going to have a really, really sizable special offer coming your way. So Academy Sports and Outdoors takes care of us. They bring you the show for free. The least you can do for the stuff you're already going to buy anyway is buy it from them. If you can't get there in person, academy.com. Let's continue. Look, I've got games to talk about. We have got coaching search intel. i got some fresh intel for you. we got hires being made. Like Wisconsin, from, from the rafters today, Wisconsin, Luke Fickle. That's not even what I'm about to talk about. I will later. This one deserves a paper pop. The paper pop on this show, reserved only for the most notable of topics. South Carolina beat Clemson yesterday, 31-30. to 30. Why do we play these games? I'll ask you again, why? Why do we play these games? Well, to shut people like me up who expect a 14-plus point Clemson win. Didn't take him long over there on the big spur last night. I needed Sherbert to delete the posts, but he didn't. So I was just called out in front of God and everyone because those folks remembered, yeah, he kind of sort of predicted Clemson to beat us by 17 or more, not even just two touchdowns. In my defense, what I would like you to remember is three weeks ago, South Carolina does not score an offensive point in Gainesville. 38-6 to was the final. Florida rolls all over South Carolina. And that answers my question. Why do we play the games? We play the games because the following week, they disposed of what looked to be a surefire participant in the playoff. Just out of nowhere. 63-38 to 38 over Tennessee. Remember that? Well, if you'd forgotten that already, and let me take a ceremonial sip of, what is this, orange blood? It might as well be. Because everything that's orange that has been put in South Carolina's path, Shane Beamer's just, man, it's illegal in some states what that guy's done. 31 to 30 yesterday against Clemson. Do you realize Shane Beamer, of all people, has disposed of half the potential playoff field? Humps to defunk it. Not even I, but it's happened. This right here, though, after that Florida game, this is the equivalent of like the Undertaker hand coming up through the grass from the grave from the Buried Alive match against Mankind, I think. Belcher, was it 96? It was in Philadelphia, I know that. Where did this come from? Where has this come from? Does anybody have an explanation for me? I challenge the most diehard of South Carolina fans. Any of you who have documented proof following 38-6 to 6 against Florida, 
that you saw wins over Tennessee and Clemson coming, I'm not going to call you a liar. I simply want to see it. And I trust that you know what I mean when I say documented. I'm not going to take your cousin's word for it. I need visual evidence. I need a paper trail, please. Single-handedly, man, just wrecked half the playoff field here. You want a padlock stat from this game? 360 to 99. Those were the respective passing totals from these two teams. And it was Spencer Rattler hanging 360. And it was DJ and it was Clemson failing to hit the century mark. 99 is such an appropriate, it just wouldn't ring as, as fully if they hit 100 yards passing. So 99 total yards passing. They had, I think, eight completions. DJ Uyangalale was eight for 29. You could play quarterback for Navy some weeks and do better than that. It's not just a DJ thing. This is, this is a team issue, and it's not the first time it's popped up this year. But this was a, what I call a self-talk special for me because I didn't go to the game. I didn't get to watch it live. So when I was leaving Columbus, Ohio last night, and uh, big, big thanks to Delta for getting me out of there on time because it was pouring down rain everywhere I went except Columbus. This was the game that I dialed up. This was the first game I watched on the flight. And a self-talk special is the kind of game where I got my little earbuds in so as to not distract and disturb. And yet I'm watching something that grabs me so much that I can't help but talk. I, I feel bad for the lady that was sitting next to me because I'm just steadily talking to myself the whole game, because that's how incredulous I am at what I'm seeing. But here's what I expected. I knew what the final was. I knew South Carolina had won. Trust me, every one of my Carolina fans had let me know. The iJosh had had its battery drained from I told you so's. But what I expected was 31 to 30. Okay, how would this happen? Clemson favored by two TDs. Noon kickoff in Clemson, no less. I think they had won like 40 in a row there. How did this happen? Well, the first thing surely is South Carolina had multiple points off turnovers and there had to be a lot of hidden yardage here. And some of that's true. But the other part is not true. In fact, it's the opposite. This could have been a lot worse. South Carolina could have won this thing a lot more handedly than they did. Because I look at it and if you tell me Carolina wins 31-30 and that there was a pick six in the game and that that same team also through an interception on the opponent's one-yard line, I would have said, that makes sense. That must be how South Carolina won. Then you tell me, no, no. It was South Carolina that threw the pick six and still won. It was Carolina that also threw a pick on the one-yard line and still found a way to win. They were three of 13 on third down and still found a way to win. That's the kind of stuff that makes you talk to yourself on an airplane. Because I still really don't get it. But then I watch the game and I see... Hey, Beamer Ball is kind of still a real thing, isn't it? Special teams won in the football game. Like Spencer Rattler did some good things. He also made some really bad plays. But in the end, you saw what he threw for. Special teams won this game for Clemson. They, they had a great night punting. But also, when you look at that stat line for DJ, don't misunderstand it. They were put in horrible field position all night were the Clemson Tigers because of how good South Carolina was in the punt game. And now they're, they're an eight-win team. South Carolina started one and two. See, that's the other thing. If you told me they were going to be an eight-win team, certainly they had to start two and one. But they didn't. They started one and two. They got beat by Arkansas. They got blasted by Georgia and still found a way to win eight games. It 
they beat back-to-back top 10 teams for the first time in program history. That just kind of comes out of nowhere to me, but it happened. And so it does end up being the case that South Carolina has a better record than they did last year. Seven wins last year, eight wins this year. As we say on the show all the time, it's not always linear. Progression's not always linear. And I told you, I thought they could go worse record-wise this year and be a better team. Well, it turned out they went better and were a better team this year. Now, they got Spencer Rattler in there via the portal. And that was a big surprise last offseason. What will they do this year? Because this was as big a recruiting tool as it was a football game for South Carolina. I think everyone knows that. Uh, and I'm, let's let, let, not let me discount the impact of beating Clemson. So it was a big recruiting tool on top of being a football game. I want to take that back. Because uh, this was really, really huge for the program. Really huge for the people there. And they deserve it. Really bought in fan base. They deserve it. My love for the Carolina fan base is well documented, even though I did pick them to lose yesterday and they let me know about it. But then I also wonder, coming off of it, okay, now what's that going to do for recruiting? Because now, unlike last year, when you're trying to sell hope and you're trying to sell vision and, and you do have at least a decent season you're coming off of to sell, now you got to win over Clemson to sell. That's a little bit different. That, that's a little different ballgame. When you got that. And two years in a row now, you've exceeded expectation. Everybody there loves the program. Like they love being in the program. So you're never gonna have to convince folks and beg folks to come to South Carolina. Folks love it when they're there. Now they got a reason to go there and also expect to be able to compete. That's a pretty new concept. I don't know what to make of Clemson right now. I really don't. I, I think in some ways this was a good year, in some ways it was a down year. Look, they were on the fringes of the playoff conversation. They're still going to go to the ACC championship game. So I'm not going to call that a wholesale failure. But I am going to call it reason to at least look kind of side-eyed and go, all right, Dabo, what now? What what now? And there's there's a public stubbornness to Dabo Swinney, which I've never bemoaned him for because I think I'd kind of be the same way. Even if I do have some doubts about what I'm doing right now, I'm just not giving you the satisfaction of knowing it. And I think he's been that same way sometimes. Uh, Now he came out and said, hey, DJ's going to start the ACC championship game. That's this year. I'm not even focused on this year. The ACC championship game is going to be such an afterthought nationally, even I'm willing to admit that, that I'm already focused on, okay, what are you doing after this year? They're not going to the playoff. Uh, their, Their ceiling is ACC championship, and they're favored... I forgot what they're favored by. They're, they're favored by a little bit. But his staff, is his staff good enough? His roster, is his roster good enough? I answer no and no. He may disagree on both fronts. And we'll see. Because he'll win out there because he's the head coach. Uh, but South Carolina scored a big one yesterday. Very, very big. Now we'll find out how big the ripple effect is when we watch the signing class they bring in and then the portal class they bring in. Uh, I'm going to skip around here a little bit. Not on you, Colin. I'm going in the order that you want me to. Make sure, oh, oh, listen to this. This is sad. This is really sad. We've got almost 6,000 people watching this thing and less than 1,000 likes. How do, in what world is that okay? Do you know what happens if we don't get that ratio up? Management waltzes in here tomorrow. They would never darken the door of this place on a Sunday. They'll walk in here and they'll say, that's not good enough. Let, let's put it behind a paywall. 
Don't make them put this behind a paywall. Just like the video and subscribe to the channel. It's free. I'm only mildly irritated, but it's so easy to do. And I know you're sitting there. I have the evidence. Thumbs up. That's what like means. And subscribe. And the button says subscribe. So that's the easy part. What is the latest? What is the latest in the Auburn coaching search? Why do rumors persist? Remember Meemaw's three axioms of coaching searches. Why do rumors persist? Option A, they're true. Option B, they're being used as a smokescreen to hide what's really going on. Or option three, they're being used as leverage, normally by a candidate and or his agent. Well, what happened over the weekend and what really was happening later last week is Lane Kiffin's name was falling out of the Auburn coaching search. It's never totally over until they've announced a hire. But that news started to break Friday night, Saturday morning. I think that's when it broke publicly. A lot of folks were hearing that, even going into the Egg Bowl. He was saying it, just not emphatically. Um, it's been a bad week for local TV anchors trying to break this story in the state of Mississippi. I've told you guys who to listen to. Listen to Chris Lowe. I'll tell you the ones who are most connected and plugged in, and I'm going to tell you why the Pete Thamels of the world and the Chris Lowe's of the world and, and the Ross Dellinger's of the world, do you know why their word is gospel on these coaching searches? And do you know why local TV anchors normally whiff? Do you know why podcasters normally whiff? Do you know why I stay out of the news-breaking business? Because I know who their sources are. And their sources... How should I say this and not exactly give it away? Their sources are as close to the situation as a source could possibly be. The mirror is not closer to Lane Kiffin and the coaching search there than Chris Lowe's sources. Have I been clear enough there? Okay, because I'm at these games and I get to see some things you guys don't get to see. So just wait until those guys report it. But having said that, when that news starts to leak out because Chris Lowe reported it, that Lane Kiffin is re-upping with Ole Miss and all of a sudden, well, now where's Auburn going to turn? Then the name Hugh Freeze starts percolating a little bit more. And anyone who's watched Late Kick knows that I've made my feelings known on Hugh Freeze. I got no problem with you hiring him. At Pate State, I'd have no problem with hiring him, but I know a lot of people would have a problem. So you've got to make your mind up before you ever allow the concept of hiring him to go public. Now, what I don't necessarily know for certain, but what has been speculated is Auburn had him high on their board. I've got questions about that because frankly, I don't necessarily know that I buy that, but there are some reputable people who disagree with that. So maybe they're right. and Maybe I'm wrong. I've got some reasons to believe that Hugh Freeze was, was never just the go-to backup option. I do believe there are some people close to Auburn who want him to be that, but I don't know if the decision makers thought that. Because the decision makers at Auburn are not talking, nor should they be. Remember that. Remember where information can come from. Only one of two places. Either the Auburn side or the side of candidates and agents. And right now, 100% of the information is pretty much coming from that candidate agent side. That mean it's all false but it does mean there's an angle there that's not being countered by information coming from the Auburn camp. Anyway, I say all that to say there are a lot of folks out there who think Hugh Freeze was a slam dunk option B for Auburn. I don't necessarily think it was that cut and dry, but for argument's sake, let's say it's true. 
There is a widely held belief right now that Auburn was ready to move on Hugh Freeze, and then they had to cool because of public backlash. Again, I don't know if that's true. Let me say, if it's true, you got the wrong folks running the show over there. Let me say it one more time. I don't know if it's true, but if it's true, you have people who are in reactionary mode. You have reactors instead of people who are proactive and who couldn't care less what the fans say. There's a re Respectfully, there's a reason why they pay to watch the product that you put on the field. And there's a reason why you are paid to put that product on the field because you, allegedly, are equipped. You're more qualified to make those decisions. If you're floating names out to gauge public backlash, and your decision thereafter will totally depend on whether or not people get mad at you, if you're actually aware of what folks are saying on message boards, if you're aware of what is and isn't trending in the dark, dark recesses of Auburn Twitter, you've already lost your job. It's not going to be taken from you tomorrow, but you were on borrowed time. Now, for the third time, I'm going to reiterate, I don't know if that's the case here. Just let me say that generically for any coaching search from now until eternity that happens. But... If it's true that Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze are off the board, where does this coaching search turn? Hmm? Does anyone have any ideas? Where does this coaching search? It ain't going to be Luke Fickle. It turns out he was in play all along, but not for Auburn because he just signed with Wisconsin. I know a lot of you have been out and about today, and that news is taking you by surprise. Yes, Cincinnati's Luke Fickle is now the head coach at Wisconsin. Just a bombshell move for Wisconsin. I'll talk about that later. Remember, please remember, the decision makers are not talking. Okay, Rich McGlynn, uh, John Cohen, those guys are not talking. They, they are very tight-lipped about this. And so the information that you're getting is coming from elsewhere. And the noise all coming from the other side means that some of that information is being used as a tool because said proprietors of that information understand how to use it as leverage, and not everything you hear is true. And in light of new information, it creates a vacuum because there's an, an, an intense thirst for new info. And when there's not a lot of new info, some things get said. James Franklin's name is being thrown out a lot right now. I have no knowledge as to whether James Franklin is involved. I got knowledge of a couple other guys whose names I can't give you, and I know full well who they are, and it sucks, and I really want to be able to tell you, because it makes you sound like a troll when you say things like I'm saying right now. I know it does. But James Franklin's name's been thrown out today. It could be that James Franklin is about to be hired by Auburn tomorrow, but it could also be that some rando mentioned his name, and in light of no new information, a lot of people just kind of grabbed onto it and ran with it, and that's how that's how perception becomes reality. Well, not really, because that's not reality. So you're going to hear a lot of names. You're going to see a lot of things. But I will tell you the same thing that I told you the day after Brian Harson got fired. I had a couple of names on my list. And one of them has been mentioned very, very frequently with this job. And that's Lane Kiffin. I got no problem personally with Hugh Freeze. I think a lot of people over there do. The third name that no one's talking about is Chip Kelly. I'm going to give you time to roll your eyes. I'm going to give you time to push back on that and scoff at it. See, a lot of folks are too married with the way college football has worked in the SEC. It doesn't work like that anymore. 
What's your number one pushback on Chip Kelly? Oh, he doesn't like recruiting. You're right about that. And guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore because you can buy your team. Chip Kelly is a phenomenal football coach. And it was, once upon a time, such that you needed more than that. You don't. You don't anymore. Especially if I gave that guy an unlimited salary pool with which to put together a phenomenal recruiting staff, Chip Kelly rarely has to leave his office. Why? Because NIL allows you to assemble a team. It's a lot more like the NFL world than it ever has been before. Now, he may not have interest in it, or maybe he does have interest in it. I'm just telling you, if I run things at Auburn, that's the kind of guy I'm making tell me no. That's what I'm telling you. I hadn't heard his name mentioned publicly at all outside of this show, but that's a guy that I'm going to make tell me no before I move on. Because I know that what I need this point moving forward is different than what I would have needed when I made my last hire or my last to last hire. 2016 college football and 2023 college football are worlds different. Chip Kelly would have been a failure at Auburn or anywhere in the SEC, quite frankly, uh, five or six years ago. I think he'd flourish now. If he doesn't want to come down here, make him tell you no. But that's the direction I'd go. Look, I don't think this thing's going to linger uh, many more days. So I think that there is resolution coming one way or the other. I do have that on pretty good authority. I just don't know who it's going to be. Do you know who it's going to be? Do you guys know who it's going to be? If you do, please, please let me know. I don't want guesses, though. I only want what the lady who works at the Chevron's cousin who knows a board of trustee member has told you. That and that only is the kind of concrete information with which this show runs on. <sighs> Coaching searches can be wild. Wisconsin hired Luke Fickle today. I woke up this morning and had no clue that this was a possibility. And yet, by 4 o'clock, by 5 o'clock today, they had announced an emergency board of trustees meeting. Then they went closed session. Those are always intriguing because no one knows what happens in those. As it turns out, uh, they were voting uh, to approve Luke Fickle as new Wisconsin head coach. I can't put into words how big a grand slam hire. What's a five-run homer? Whatever it is, they hit one in Madison, Wisconsin. They just hit one. I guess I owe a little apology here, even though they haven't asked for one. See, South Carolina fans begged me, they demanded me apologize for picking Clemson. Wisconsin fans did not demand an apology, but I'm going to give one anyway. Because my question when they got rid of Paul Christ was simply, how serious are you about football? You know, if you know the behind the scenes up there, you know there are just a lot of things the other major programs have that they haven't had. Not that they can't have. If you're in the Big Ten, you're cashing those TV checks. You can have anything you want to. They've chosen not to beef up their staff, their strength and conditioning, their uh, recruiting analysts department. They've chosen to do that. Well, I would imagine Luke Fickle got all the assurances that he could possibly want before he took this job. But I had my doubts. I'll freely admit it. I had my doubts, and I especially had my doubts, that they could go get Luke Fickle. Now, now you may have been able to pay a lot of money and go get a guy with a name behind his re resume. I didn't think that they were going to be able to get Luke Fickle. So how serious is Wisconsin about football? Pretty darn serious. I was over on the 24-7 board over there, over on the Wisconsin message board, and Wiltfong dropped in. And Wolfong knows Fickle pretty well. And I agree with everything he said. He came over there and said, you got a terrific culture guy. 
He's an elite recruiter, an elite evaluator. And by the way, everybody echoes that. That's not just one man's opinion. That's like 100 men's opinions. He gets strength and conditioning. If you've watched Cincinnati play, you know that that's true. Players love him. Uh, there's, there's kind of the difficult task of spotting the downside here. Uh, the, the biggest downside, here's how you know you hit a home run. The biggest pushback, the biggest point of criticism from Wisconsin fans is they're scared he'll go to Ohio State in a few years. That means you hired the right guy. Because uh, I don't think anyone was worried about where Paul Christ was going. If you got to worry, you know, if you're hiring a guy who is so highly thought of, you're worried that, oh, he's not going to hang around a long time. You're not South Alabama, first off. All due respect to the Jacks. God bless them. They may, they may have a guy in this conversation pretty soon, too. Uh, but you got to make, you don't, you don't got to do anything. You have to make these kind of moves if you're in the Big Ten. You've, you've got to. And this is a blessing. Like Kevin Warren should be throwing a party at his house tonight, a red and white themed party. Because his other member institutions need to get on the ball, too. Nebraska just did it. Nebraska made a, a huge hire when they hired Matt Rule. Wisconsin hires Luke Fickle. You've got to get big-time head coaches in your conference. You, you cannot have programs settling for what Wisconsin and Nebraska have settled for. You can't have programs settling for what Iowa is settling for. You've got to be better. It's a disaster. It's an embarrassment that the Big Ten West, an entire division, half of your conference, has just settled into this it's malaise of mediocrity. should be a pretty good punk rock band name. Malaise of mediocrity, and they will just play towns in the Midwest, mainly in the Big Ten Western Division footprint. You got to make these kind of hires. This was a big move. Possible domino effect coming, but a big move. And the other thing is, as it relates to the Big Ten, I mean, when you're adding USC and you're adding UCLA, and then you got programs like Nebraska and Wisconsin get really serious about their coaching searches and their hires, which you can afford to do in the most literal sense of the word afford. Because you are printing money as a conference and distributing that to member institutions freely, there's no reason not to. There's just no reason not to. I think that was Wilford Brimley's last message in the diabetes commercials. Check your blood sugar. Check it often and pay your head coaches a lot of money. There's just no reason not to. Moving on. Let's go back to some action on the field yesterday, shall we? Appreciate you guys being tuned in, especially if you're watching live. Let me get a little updated count here. We had internal bets on the over-under for how many people would tune into the show tonight. I think the over is going to hit. Appreciate you guys. 2,000 likes all of a sudden. I appreciate that too. USC beat Notre Dame yesterday, 38-27. I got to tell you I think you're right. And by you, I mean anyone out there who has been lecturing me on Caleb Williams and how he should be the Heisman frontrunner. Now, yesterday kind of worked itself out on multiple fronts as it relates to the Heisman. Caleb Williams is probably the best player in the country right now. He's playing outside his mind. I saw him in person at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. And he is so dynamic. He is everything that you want in a quarterback. I was talking about Stroud a little while ago and how he does not do this kind of stuff right here. Boy, Caleb Williams couldn't care less, man. He will run at a moment's notice. And not only will he put up some yardage in the rushing category, that's a fraction of the value of his mobility. He makes so many plays. He's like Bryce Young. He makes so many plays on broken plays. He makes so many improv plays. And I'll tell you what he does better than anyone, including Bryce Young. There's nobody in this sport, and quite frankly, there aren't many of them in the NFL, 
who have the ball come out of their hand off-platform with the velocity that Caleb Williams does. If you've ever just watched him, please don't watch the set in the pocket, three-step, five-step drop, crow hop it and turn it loose. A lot of guys have some juice and zip on the ball when they do that. Caleb Williams throws across his body, body all contorted, and it's just, it's on a rope. Receivers sitting there fanning their hands afterwards. He's good. He's got accuracy too. So that's, that's also, that's, it's something that doesn't always show up in the box score. You need to watch his games. The box score doesn't always tell the entire tale for him. Padlock stat alert in this game. Big padlock stat. Important padlock stat as it relates to USC and where they may be headed. 204 to 90. What was that, you may ask? Those were the rushing totals in yesterday's game. And if you tell me that USC is going to top Notre Dame 204 to 90 on the ground, I'm going to tell you, I think the Trojans just won that game. Yes, they did. Austin Jones, the replacement for Travis Dye. You know, that's the 1,000-yard rusher who they lost and was supposed to knock them off balance. Instead, they're just playing their best ball of the year. He went for 154 and a touchdown. I got a second padlock stat, a rare double padlock stat here. It's very simple. And it's such a theme with Southern Cal this year. Plus two in the turnover margin. Plus two. Uh, for those keeping track at home, that now puts them at plus 22 turnovers on the year. Uh, we have now started keeping a separate stat here. And it is points off turnover margin. They are plus 114 in net points off turnovers this year. That's actually a stat with USC. They were the more physical team. That's the big takeaway, guys. They played Notre Dame. Notre Dame, even if they lose, you're supposed to have watched the game and said, hey, man, they bloodied their nose. Southern Cal may have won, but they're going to feel this the next day. They were the more physical team. I mean, they should take immense amounts of pride in this thing. I know Lincoln Riley, I think in his postgame, called it the most complete game they've played so far this year, which means they're peaking at the right time, which is something he's got some experience with uh, dating back to his days at Oklahoma. But that offensive line is up for the Joe Moore Award. And if you go back to the summer, I had some Southern Cal fans push back on me when I said offensive line was going to be a big question mark for the team. Uh, it turned out you guys were right. I didn't say it was going to be a weakness. I said I think it's a question mark. Well, that question's been answered. I mean, they're, they, you know, everybody got tired of the Tennessee to LSU 2019 comparison. Well, allow me to be even more irresponsible. Let me make the USC to LSU 2019 comparison. I'm not talking about team versus team. But the 2019 LSU team, I remember when we were in the summer, their offensive line was thought to be a big question mark. And they went on to win the national title. And I think that team either won the Joe Moore Award or they were a finalist for it. Well, USC is the same way right now. They are tracking to be a playoff team. If they win the Pac-12 championship game this Friday night in Las Vegas, I think they'll make the playoff. At least that's one man's opinion here. They're favored by three, by the way, against Utah. If they get in there... They got an O-line playing very well. They're playing the most physical brand of ball they've played all year. And by the way, that will be put to the test again against Utah. That's a team they scored more than 40 on and still lost earlier this year. So my advice is kind of use Utah's script against them. You just showed you got the capability to do it. So do it again. If they get in the playoff, especially this year, there is nothing that can't happen. There are going to be some people out there foolishly who tell you, oh, they can't do that. They can't beat Georgia. They, can't. they can beat everybody. Everybody in that playoff is going to be able to beat everybody. 
This is not like years past. This is not a one or two team field. It will be a true four team field because there's no elite team in college football this year. Uh, what I'm trying to say is 2019 LSU, 2020 Bama would completely ravage all four teams that are going to be in this playoff. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So it doesn't matter what they would do because they're not in the sport this year. It's a good year to be TCU. It's a good year to be USC. It's a good year to be Michigan as long as you guys make the playoff. I got another result that I need to talk to you about. Let me take a little sip from the chalice. Texas A&M beat LSU 38-23 last night. You said, what? 38? Nonsense. 24. That had to be the total for A&M. Nope. They found a way to break that ceiling. And they broke through it in a big way. 38 points. And what, what really blows the mind and boggles the mind is it tells you this was there all along. This kind of result was always possible. They didn't get like five players back last night. They had been missing. Nope. They, they played with Devon A. Chain. He went off. They played with Connor Wigman. He had a really good game. Uh, they, they physically owned LSU. Why couldn't that have happened earlier this year? You know what? Let's keep it positive here. Because I'm going to kind of tilt it negative at the very end. Well, I'm going to hopefully tilt it positive, but with a cautious message. But first off, paper pop. You want me to blow your mind? It's Sunday night. You want to take something to the water cooler tomorrow? You take this stat to the water cooler. A&M's been a disaster this year, right? The record's a disaster. They're not even close to going to a bowl game. Texas A&M has three wins against AP top 15 teams this year. That's the most this millennium for that program in a season. I know that that's accurate, and I have no idea how it's accurate. No idea. Who are the three teams? Now, now notice, I said AP top 15 teams, and those were at the time they played. It was a long time ago, kids, but there was a moment this year where Miami was rated by the woeful AP in the top 15, and A&M beat them. There was a time this year, kids, where Arkansas was ranked in the top 10, and they got beat by Texas A&M. And there was certainly a time, 24 hours ago, when LSU was top five, and they beat them 38 to 23. Yes, five and seven. Five and seven non-bowl eligible A&M has three top 15 AP wins this year. That's the kind of stat that makes you want to fan yourself. Why do we play the games? I'll ask for the third time. Why do we play the games? Ten and a half point favorite LSU already clinched the West? Because this kind of stuff can happen. A&M's had a bad season. Okay, no one's, no one's suggesting otherwise. But not all of Texas A&M has been bad. Not all of it. In fact, that true freshman class has been... A really good surprise this year. Not all of it, but some of it. Like Connor Wigman has had a really good year. Uh, Evan Stewart is turning into a phenomenal player. But I want to talk about the vibe from yesterday. And this is where the external doesn't always match the internal. Uh, A&M, just on its own merit, is often misunderstood nationally and labeled in ways that it shouldn't be. Whatever. Yesterday, if you woke up and you were a casual... You looked at this game, and then you looked right past this game. And you thought to yourself, it doesn't matter. It's a meaningless game. And for you, there is probably no help. You need to go get help. But even for the more dialed-in fan, you probably looked and you said, LSU at A&M. Like, I know they don't like each other, but 
Why should I watch that game? Like, what's really on the line? But some of you turned it on, and you saw one of the most jacked environments you saw on Saturday. I mean, there were some games where there were maximum postseason consequences riding on the outcome. This game had none of that for AM, and Kyle Field was packed, and they were on fire. And I think when you're a part of that, and you don't have a bowl game to play for, and you don't have playoff hopes on the line, you're not going to go to Atlanta, that becomes all of those things for you. So last night just becomes AM's bowl game. It is their SEC championship game. It is their playoff, Super Bowl, whatever you want to call it. And they just, they played with their hair on fire. They did what they've been capable of doing all year. Talented teams, even the ones who are underachieving, they've always got that in them. What Michigan's passing game did last night or yesterday afternoon was the same thing AM's team did yesterday. Padlock stat, by the way, A Chain had 38 carries. That's a Derrick Henry stat line. 38 carries for 215 yards, and that led to the other padlock stat, which was AM being 10 of 15 on third down. Listen to these numbers. Your Texas A&M Aggies, 24 first downs. They had 38 points. They had 274 rushing yards. They had 429 overall yards. And they ran the same number of plays as LSU did, I think like 67 or 68. This is the same team that could, they failed to run 40 total offensive plays against App State in a loss earlier this year. So moving forward for both of these teams, Yes, friends, LSU is still going to play in the SEC championship game this Saturday. They are a 17-point dog against Georgia. That is the exact number we told you that point spread would be. Right on the money, 16 and a half or 17. As for Texas A&M, I told you I was going to have a little negative opinion on this. It's not necessarily negative. I just have a concern. And this is my concern. I think it's apparent to anyone who's watched that team, especially Aggie fans this year, Things need to change offensively for them to ever do what they did yesterday on a consistent basis. Like yesterday doesn't mean anything changed. They just, they got a, a big performance, an individual performance. But here could be the problem. And I say could be because we don't know. Jimbo Fisher is the kind of person to dig his heels in when he gets even an ounce, even a modicum of perceived validation on his theory. His theory being, his offense works, you just got to execute it. It's fine. We're fine. It's all fine. Well, it hadn't worked this year, has it? Uh-oh, until last night, and then AM hangs 38, and that's the last game they're going to play this year. Jimbo Fisher's the kind of guy, if you're not careful, if no one gets to him very quickly, Jimbo's the kind of guy who walks in that locker room and, and doesn't blink. He may, even, he may even rip his shirt a little bit. He unbuttons several buttons on it, at the very least. And he lets the hamburger meat hang out, and he says, what, what, you want to talk about offense now? What? Told y'all it'll work. Told y'all. I guarantee you the words told y'all came out of his mouth last night. Probably quickly, but I bet they came out of his mouth. The worst result last night would not have been A&M losing. Because at this point, it just would have been another loss in a bad season. The best result would have been A&M winning and the appropriate changes still being made. The worst result would be if A&M wins last night and it just pushes Jimbo Fisher further into the corner, digging his heels in and defending a failing system. So last night's great. Ride those waves, ride that vibe, hopefully lock up a decent recruiting class. But if last night serves in any way, 
to validate in Jimbo Fisher's mind that, hey, that offense actually isn't bad at all. Look, look, it worked here. We'll just carry that into next year. No, you won't. No, you won't. You'll have the players to do it. You'll have the overall talent roster to do it. You will not do it. They've got to have an offensive coordinator there. They've got to have somewhat of an offensive philosophy change. As I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I am not going to diagram this on a grease board for you. I'm not a head coach. I'm not an offensive genius. I'm not a doctor. I just know the ugly baby when I see it. Don't have to break it down for you. I know a bad offense when I see it. A&M's offense has been bad. It didn't get fixed last night. It really didn't. It just, it just happened last night. You, you ever been friends with someone who's just, just an overall not great person, but you, you just have an incident or you have a day with them where you, you go home that night and say, oh, they weren't that bad today. How many times does that last? How often does one exception to a well-established rule change the rule? The answer is hardly ever. So let's all cross our fingers that the lessons have still been learned. I, I want to talk to you about a, an issue that is prevalent in our college football society. It's called the playoff. And I don't normally talk about it on the show, but it's kind of that time. So I'm going to talk about it for a couple of minutes here. The college football playoff, the field will be announced, what, a week from today? Less than a week now. We're counting down the hours. We're going to know who's going to Arizona, who's going down to Georgia. The semifinals, by the way, are in Atlanta and Phoenix, Glendale, to be exact. Where will I be? Hoomst knows. Who will be in the games? Also, Hoomst knows. What changed yesterday? Because there is a chaos theory that's in play here. And what do we know? This is the way I like to break this down. There are some things we know. Georgia's in. I don't even care if they lose Saturday. They're in. It's all about seeding. Uh, Michigan, I believe, is in. And I think it's all about seeding with them too. So they have, they have bought that privilege through winning. I got some of you coming at me saying, well, how is a 12-team playoff going to water down the regular season? Look at this. These conference title games are already meaningless. Georgia and Michigan will make it in even if they lose. Yes, friend. They have that privilege because of how good they were during the regular season. It's not a one or two loss team that can also say, oh, we'll be in regardless. That world only exists in your expanded format. So Georgia has won every game. Michigan has won every game. That's why they'll be in, even if they lose Saturday. They won't necessarily have a one or two seed if they lose, but they'll be in regardless. So that's what we know. Georgia, Michigan pretty much look like they're in. What do we know about this week? We know if TCU wins, they're in. Uh, we know if USC wins, they're in. And if that were to happen, that's it. There is no drama. But you watch this sport just like I do. Is that how it's going to happen? Is Kansas State rolling over? Is Utah rolling over? I don't know. The lines on these games are TCU minus two and a half against Kansas State in one game and USC minus three against Utah in that other game. So if even one of them loses, then we have a problem. Well, you have a problem. I just sit back with my popcorn and prop my feet up and say, you guys go figure it out. Just let me know what you arrive at. What happened yesterday? So what changed yesterday? LSU's out of this thing. They lost again. So that's a three-loss team. Even if they win the SEC championship game, they're not in. So that changed yesterday. Clemson, they're out. Even if they win Saturday. Two-loss 
conference champ from a very bad conference, they will not sniff the playoff. So you remove both the Tigers, actually. They're gone. You got an important Tuesday ahead. And I hate to promote that rankings reveal show, but it's, it's a pretty important week coming up because of where Ohio State and Alabama are ranked. Some people out there are telling you Alabama can't make it to the playoff. They are wrong. Some people are going to tell you Ohio State can't make the playoff now. They are also wrong. Both of them won't. One of them absolutely could. Here's what you need to pay attention to. It's pretty simple. Who's ranked above who on Tuesday? Because unlike some of these other teams that still have conference championship games to play, Bama's done and Ohio State's done. So what I'm telling you that for is wherever that committee ranks them this week, theoretically it shouldn't change. If Bama's behind Ohio State, there's nothing that could happen that would lead to them jumping them and vice versa. So that leads to the chaos scenario. And the chaos scenario is pretty simple. If USC loses or if TCU loses, who's taking that place? You're watching right now, if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing those are the current playoff rankings. But we know that's not real because we know that Ohio State's going to drop from two. Do they drop to five or six? That's the question. USC is going to go up to number four. TCU is probably going to go up to number three. So I would think you have Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, one through four this week. Who's number five? Is it Ohio State or is it Bama? Because that is answering you the question of who takes the place of TCU if they lose? Who takes the place of USC if they lose? Now, there is a school of thought out there that TCU can afford to lose and still make it in. And you guys may be right. I'm not pushing back on that. I'm saying the only shot Ohio State or Bama have is if at least one of those teams loses. I think if USC loses, they're absolutely out. So if USC were to lose to Utah, again, they've already done it once, you've absolutely got a playoff spot opening up. And you've got a very, very toxic, very gross, zero-win situation, Bama versus Ohio State debate that will unfold nationally for the world to see. And you will have expansionists, ironically, explaining to you why one or the other doesn't deserve to be in the playoff all the while, they're supporting the only playoff structure that would guarantee they both still make the playoff. So that's always fun. And please don't count on that waking anyone up to the ignorance of said argument because it's not going to. But I will weigh in. Like if you had me on the committee and you had me choosing between Ohio State and Bama, I'm going Bama. After yesterday, I'm going Bama. There are multiple big lies in this sport. I talk to you about them all the time. Uh, and, and please... Before you school me on this, that is a flawed team. That, Bama's a, that Bama team is as flawed as any team we've seen in a while. Ohio State's a flawed team, as we saw yesterday. Got news for you. Everybody else is too. So save that argument for me. I'm just telling you, if you do resume A versus resume B, there are some big lies involved. The first big lie is a win is a win and a loss is a loss. That's not true. Like to me... Ohio State getting boat raced at home yesterday in their biggest game of the year is worse than Bama losing two games by a combined four points. That's how I feel about that. The other big lie is you are what your record says you are. And again, I disagree with that only because everybody doesn't play the same schedule. So, like, I don't know what Ohio State would have done going on the road the same times and same places that Bama did. I don't know that. I think it would have been a whole heck of a lot more difficult for them 
than Bama. Conversely, I think Bama would have handled Northwestern and Rutgers quite comfortably. What I have to go on is the resume. That's what I have to go on, okay? So I'm not going to be upset or shed a tear for either one of them if they get left out, because truth be told, I don't think you have four playoff-worthy teams this year. But since you got to put four of them in there, and it's going to come down to that, if it does come down to that, I'd lean Bama. That's just my personal opinion on that. Um, the other thing I think that happens sometimes with Alabama, because they've been in the playoff like virtually every year, is when I mentioned this last night, I had some people say, no way they get in. Well, first off, that's categorically false. Yes, there is a way they get in, so stop. The second thing people do is, unlike any other team in this thing, people tend to judge Alabama against past Alabama teams. So if we were doing like some fun playoff where we put the best Bama teams over the past 15 years in a playoff, no, this Bama team's not going in there. That's not how this works. We're just asking if they have one of the four most deserving resumes at the end of the year in that given year. And even as flawed as this Bama team's been, there is a path, not a wide one, but there's a path where they end up making it in. And I got news for you. Given how, given how infatuated some are with this expanded playoff, I hope they make it in. Because once Bama makes it in, I think you guys know what could happen there. I just want to illustrate for you what you're going to be more and more likely to see happen in the future when you go to a format where Clemson would still be in right now, Ohio State would still be in right now, Bama would still be in right now, comfortably, comfortably in, by the way. They'd all be in there. That's what you want, huh? Okay, couldn't be me. Uh, some added takeaways yesterday. And I got one to go back on with Friday's games. Florida State, 45. Florida, 38. This is the first time since 2016 that FSU has beaten Miami and Florida in the same year. That's no small task for Mike Norvell. They closed on a five-game win streak. I feel like they've been playing top 10 caliber football down the stretch. Unfortunately, they lost too many games early in the year. But I notice a little shift happening. And it's very ironic that it involves these two teams because they played each other. Everybody's bought in on Mike Norvell now. And he's 9-3 and three this year. Remember in the preseason, I was talking about FSU and the general consensus among Seminole fans was eight wins. If we can get to eight wins, that's a big year. Well, they got one past that. They got to nine wins this year. So no one's doubting Mike Norvell now. He's the toast of the town. They're doubting Billy Napier. And I told you once and I'll tell you again, the same people who sold their Mike Norvell stock way too early are now going to double down and sell their Billy Napier stock way too early. And to that, I will say to you the same thing I said when you started selling your Norvell stock, and that is, I'll buy it. Give it to me. Norvell's a really good coach. You just needed to give him time. Billy Napier's a really good coach. You just need to give him time. Period. End of story. Good for Mike Norvell. Texas, 38. Baylor, 27. Now, this one happened yesterday. What do we have here? We have that wide expanse in college football between trash and treasure. The, the casuals amongst us either got you as trash or treasure. There's no in-between. Well, there's a lot of in-between. Both of these programs are in-between. And both these teams were in-between this year. So where is Texas? Last year, a little bit closer to trash than treasure. This year, they went from 5-7 and seven to 8-4. and four. That's good. That's, that means you're closer to treasure. Still a ways away from it. 
But if it's a one to 100 scale, you're like over there at 63 or 64, whereas you were at like 30 last year. Chip Brown over on Horns 24-7 made a good point, though. And I think, it, Colin, keep this up right here. If you're looking at the, the graphic on your screen right now, it's just their schedule from this year. Do you notice one glaring difference, aside from the fact that they just have more wins, what was their problem last year? Their problem was they had that four or five game losing streak to end the year, and Sarkeesian admitted, I never got the team back. I mean, they kind of we kind of lost them. And they wanted a different outcome this year. Well, look at where the losses are on this schedule. Alabama, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, TCU, those are the four losses. They don't come back to back. None of them come back to back. Texas followed every loss this year with a win. There was no string of losses. They didn't lose the team. They did stay bought in. They weren't the greatest team in America. I didn't really realize the Big 12 championship game was still kind of on the line yesterday if, if Kansas would have beaten Kansas State. Be that as it may, Texas improved as a team this year. That's all you're asking for. So now, what do you get to do? You get to look into next year, and you get to know you got Arch Manning coming on campus. So once again, we could have a quarterback competition, not controversy, competition between Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. That's healthy. That's a good thing. Baylor returned a fumble for a touchdown. Speaking of, speaking of Quinn Ewers, Baylor returns a fumble for a touchdown. And Steve Sarkeesian pretty much said, nope, not letting it happen. They ran the ball the next 22 plays. They had 22 runs in a row. Sark said, I'm done watching this. Uh, we're just going to salt the game away, and then we'll get into December. We'll recruit some, and, and we'll be good here. They outgained Baylor 266-56 to 56 in the second half. Pretty good padlock stat there. Next up, I watched this game in the Columbus Airport, Columbus, Ohio. 38-34, to 34, Oregon State beat Oregon. I'm pretty stunned that this happened because when I sat down to watch it, it was 31-10 to 10 Ducks. And I thought, well, there they go. Cruise into the Pac-12 championship game. No, no. And then you want to really have your mind blown? I don't even know what a padlock stat is in this game. Oregon State was minus three turnovers, and they won. Oregon State completed six passes, and they won. How? Well, to be honest, I really don't know still, but I will tell you one thing. When Oregon kept turning it over on downs, and they gave Oregon State three short fields late, and Oregon State converted that into 21 points in the fourth quarter, that's a pretty good indication. They were three of nine on third down. It, How about this telling padlock stat from this game? Oregon went for it five times on fourth down. Goose egg. 0 for 5. And then to add insult to injury, they lose Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State after the game. Big pickup for Arizona State. Kenny Dillingham uh, headed there as new Sun Devil head coach. We'll talk about that more this week. So Oregon does not go to the Pac-12 championship game. That is USC, and that is Utah, and that is set for Friday, 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. Another game I wanted to talk about right quick that was off your radar, and I understand if it was. Did you see what Penn State did? Do you see how Penn State closed? In fact, did you see what Penn State did the rest of the... I'm stopping my sentence because the answer is no. You watched him get blown out by Michigan. You watched him lose to Ohio State. And you did not watch another Penn State game this year, did you? It's okay to admit it. It's why I'm here. This was one of the most razor-sharp, consistent teams all season. 
They lost to the two teams that were better than them, and they beat everyone else. They went on the road and smashed Auburn. Uh, they, they took care of business emphatically down the stretch. I mean, after that Ohio State game, they won 45-14, 30 to nothing, 55 to 10, and 35 to 16. 10 and 2, Andrew Aller. That's all you keep saying to yourself. We just won 10 games. Penn State's over-under was eight and a half, I think. They won 10 games, which is our exact prediction from them back in August. And they got Drew Aller on deck, that five-star quarterback. Things are looking up. Things are looking up. I think, I'm pretty sure, things are looking up. Uh, and the, the Big Ten's only going to get tougher, so things better be looking up. This was, a, this, was such, this was such a good sign for them. And it's off the radar. Like People will not pay attention to this. I think you're surprised maybe to even hear they won 10 games because you just wrote them off. They stayed checked in. Like James Franklin got them right back in, and they never lost focus, and they finished strong. They finished about as strong as any team in the country outside of like USC has. So good for them. Uh, some other things that I just want to draw your attention to right quick. I find it interesting. I appreciate you guys watching live or listening to the replay. Hey, do me a favor. If you're listening to the podcast, or even if you're not, but you have a phone, just go follow. or sub- it's, the, it's like the podcast version of subscribing. That's it. Just follow. Did you know, trivia question here, you know Alabama and you know Auburn are in the state of Alabama. Forget about them for a second. Did you know there is a pair of teams that win a combined 20 and 4 in the state of Alabama this year? I'm talking to those of you out there looking for head coaches. FBS teams. There are a couple of FBS teams in the state of Alabama that win a combined 20 and 4 this year. One of them is Troy and one of them is South Alabama. One of those guys is John Summerall, and the other guy's Kane Womack. And let me put it this way. They will not be in the G5 ranks in the state of Alabama for very long. So someone's going to make the right move in hiring one or the other. Um, and then the rest of you are going to look and say, boy, I wish we would have jumped on Kane Womack or, uh, or John Summerall. Troy and South Alabama, each of them 10 and 2. Big stories locally down there. Matt Rule to Nebraska. I didn't have a lot of time to put it in tonight's show. Obviously, a gargantuan move in Lincoln. It looked like he had turned him down. They didn't take no for an answer. Uh, strong Saban-Bama vibes circa 20, 2007. So good for Trev Alberts and good for Nebraska. It's another necessary move. Wisconsin made one. Nebraska made one. I don't want to end the show without telling you Mike Elko left Texas A&M went to Duke and won eight games at Duke in his first year. Let me, let me put it another way. Mike Elko leaves Texas A&M as the defensive coordinator, goes to Duke as the head coach, and wins more games at Duke, like three more games at Duke, than Jimbo won this year at Texas A&M. Who predicted that? I don't think very many people did. Also, there is the small matter of Tennessee obliterating Vandy yesterday. Like, they did check the calendar. They knew it was Dorvember. Or, yeah, well, it was. It, it, it ended. It's like the Chinese calendar. You know, the, the ones when, when you go to the Chinese restaurant and they show you the Chinese calendar and it doesn't exactly sync up. It's like the, the zodiac signs. Uh, what am I looking for, Colin? What's that thing called? The calendar. Whatever. It's not always like the beginning of the month and the end of the month. 
I know I'm a Sagittarius, that's about all I know, but I know that thing doesn't go December 1st to December 31st. So apparently Dorvember does not just run the span of November. It ended sometime before yesterday, because Tennessee, they took it out on Vandy. Joe Milton and all, they took it out on Vandy, 56 to nothing. So I see you, Josh Heupel. I see you. Uh, two best bets in conference championship week. One of them's not even a conference title game. You know, we were on Akron yesterday because we were going to be on them the week before and their game got postponed. And Akron just blistered someone. As a 10.5-point dog, they just won outright. We're on Akron again this week. They are playing Buffalo in the game that got postponed. They're plus 13.5. Love Akron. Think there is a decent shot that they could push to win the game outright. So we're taking Akron plus 13.5. And and believe this is the MAC title game. We're taking Ohio plus 3. Uh, those are the only two so far, so stay tuned. Hour and a half, 90-minute show. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, Mr. Cool just asked in the live chat, where am I going this weekend? Yes, if you'll notice, there was no Every Given Saturday Tour announcement on the show. I can tell you I'll be in Atlanta this week. We're doing the live show Thursday from Atlanta. But I didn't give you a destination this week. Because to be honest, I'm not sure where I want to go yet. So, I rarely ever miss the SEC championship game. Maybe I'll be there. Big Ten championship, yawner. Uh, Big 12 championship game could be the game of the day. The Pac-12's on a Friday night. I don't know if I can get out there and back in time. So, we'll see. Well, It's not a classical every given Saturday tour because it's not the regular season. So, we'll see. Until then, really appreciate you guys. Again, on the way out. Make sure you like the video and subscribe to the channel and follow the pod. And it would not hurt you to make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Because look, news could break in the coaching world any minute, and we don't just crank the YouTube channel up and go live after every bit of breaking news. Like Chip Patterson does that over on Cover 3. He just puts that little red alert emoji up, and they just, man, they go emergency podcast. Well, we don't always do that. So you know when the show comes on, but if things happen in between, you just make sure you're following. At Late Kick Josh. And you know what? Tell your friends and family while you're at it. For producer Jesse, who's dealing with some things right now, and we've got him in our hearts, thoughts, and prayers. Um, it's personal. So he's dealing with some things, but still an integral part of the show. For director Colin, for, for interim producer Bradley, for, I don't want to call Nelch I just know they all ate tacos today, that's what I know. For everyone here and myself, thank you so much. Have a great start to your week. Take care. God bless. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.